This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Blockbuster Film School, you're here, you're excited, you're pumped, I am too, because we've got some shit to rip off from rich people, we're going to teach them a lesson, that's right, I'm Alex Bonner, one of your professors here at the Blockbuster Film School, joined by the headmaster of the Blockbuster Film School, Mr. Nicholas Sauter. Uh, I'm here for the capers. <laughs> Where there will be many capers abound, not the weird little pea things that come I in. I like capers. They're okay, they're yeah. food I guess. I mean... Salty, it's briny. I don't eat That's them. True. I eat them like three times a They're year. They're tiny little pea pickles. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> I don't if, like the way you said that. That's a little bit of a hint. We're also here with uh, super producer Brian Tepps. His new chair and his new app. Yeah, I know. He's got a full vampire chair yeah. and a remote control. We're moving on up. His shirt literally says blood people. <laughs> because of his love of blood. Yeah. And, and the drinking of it. I understand. Yeah. Um, well, team, you're here to learn about movies. You're here to talk about movies. You're here to listen to nonsense, and we have a perfect category, a genre of film this week, which is heist films. They're heisty, which is a word we're going to start using, (laughs) or heisting. I've been heisting the shit out of that. And some of those popular movies of all time have been heist movies, and we'll talk a little bit to go into it about where the heist movie came from about what makes it a heist movie versus a movie that maybe has heisty elements, different things like that. But before we do, we're going to do our normal thing. Nick, what was the first heist movie you remember uh, that stands out to you? Don't say Die Hard because you've said that it's not a heist movie. It's not a heist movie, <laughs> and I stand by that. It's a Christmas movie. Thank you. It's our whole fucking Christmas episode. Go to the um, coast. Have a few laughs. All right. I don't know, honestly. I can't remember. There's just it's, mm. heist movies have always been around. Interesting. Yeah. Is there one that kind of jumps out at you that you think about sometimes? I don't know. You mean like Heat, <laughs> if you will. Heat is the first heist movie that at the end I cried. That is fair. Also, listen back to our uh, Michael, Michael Mann, Mann episode, episode yeah. and um, you know check out our Patreon. We have some interesting stuff about that on our Patreon, you know, so go back and listen to some of our episodes. If you guys like the show, make sure to tell your friends, check out some of the old episodes. Yeah. Some of them are pretty good. Check us out on Instagram and Reddit yeah, and uh, yeah. MySpace yes, and Napster. please, beg, beg, please, please. For the give love me, of- give me, I need, I need, I need. <laughs> oh, God. One that stands out that I saw real young, mm-hmm. I saw it once on Bravo, when Bravo used to show movies without mm. commercials. I remember that. Yeah. Remember when they were like a real station before there was this like, there were a lot I'm of Tim Gunn. Look at me. I've never seen that show. Anyways, so. <laughs> we should have these toddlers battle. Wait, what are they doing? <laughs> I wish they were actually battling, but most of the time it's just creepier where they're going to be toddlers and tiaras or something. Oh, that's disgusting. Yes. No, make them fight to the death. That. Um, <laughs> Or at least, like, fight over a piece of pizza or something. They have to fight, and the loser's parents get murdered. Ball, Anyways, ball pit fight? Everyone would watch yeah. that. Charlie Varick. We talked about this before we started recording. It's a great fucking idea. Walter Matthau oh, robs man. a bank, runs out, jumps in a plane, takes off from the street. Yes. Like, little two-seats, single-engine deal. Just, just Matthau yeah. it up. Just Matthau it up. Doing all the heisting. <laughs> Eat that, Jack Lemon. No Jack Lemon in this movie. <laughs> no, I like that movie a lot. We yeah. can talk about that as well. I think I, 
Yeah, heist movies I first really remember. I watched The Thomas Crown Affair when I was a kid. I rented that, the Steve McQueen version, and I remember thinking, this is really fun and really they're up to stuff. And yeah. They're putting together a, a they're going to steal that this painting and it's exciting. It's exciting. I don't know. That's the heistiness movie yeah. though. Isn't that the And then you saw the remake with Dennis Leary and Ooh. Pierce Brosnan and you're Ooh. like <laughs> Why did this happen? Yeah. Why is Dennis Leary in any of it? And then Steve McQueen's ghost just shows up like fuck you guys. Yeah. Flips a joint at them. So, we're going to go into it though. Where the heist movie comes from, it is one of the earliest genres of cinema. Edwin S. Porter made a movie in 1908 called The Great Train Robbery. If you've never seen it, it is maybe one of the most influential silent films of all time. Guess what it's about? What do you think it's about, Nick? Well, I've seen the remake. It was City Slickers. (laughs) Kind of. It is about a great train robbery. That should have been self-explanatory. That's right. And it created a ton of genres. It is not the birth of parallel editing exactly. That is kind of credited to D.W. Griffith, but... It does have parallel editing as a form of action where there are bad guys who are trying to rob a train, and then there are good guys who are chasing after the train to get them. Edwin Porter is credited with creating a lot of different action, cowboy, I mean, a lot of wild genre stuff. And even the end of Goodfellas is a reference to the great train robbery with the static shot of the cowboy shooting at the screen. That was a little homage from Martin Scorsese towards the great train robbery, creating the crime movie. I mean, I mean, it's the first crime movie with the exception of the time that Thomas Edison electrocuted an elephant on film just to see if he could do it, which is a crime. I think hate crime. (laughs) It is a crime against animals. And I honestly think if you electrocuted an elephant now, they would arrest you. I don't care if you recorded it. So, The Great Train Robbery comes out. There are tons of movies. This is going to be a little bit like the rom-com thing. We're going to kind of muse because I don't know if you guys know this. There are 975 million heist movies. I have not seen all of them. I doubt you have, but we're going to talk about some of the greatest hits, and then we'll go into- I've seen 17. You've said- (laughs) That is fair. That is fair. One of the first ones, though, in the timeline that jumps out, they call it the, the asphalt jungle is often credited with as being the modern- It's a John Huston movie, but it is one of the modern ideas of the heist movie. Maryland, right? Yeah, and uh, Sterling Hayden, Jesse Whitmore. It's old time. Sterling Hayden? Yeah, I know, right? Wild style. Crazy. It's boring as shit. I've watched it. I don't know who that is. I'm sure you got that. (laughs) The Asphalt Jungle, also with the subtitle, The City Under the City. Oh. I don't know what that means. Asphalt Jungle is code for, like, black people, right? Isn't that, like, the (laughs) urban, quote-unquote. So the movie that first stands out to me, though, is in 1956, though, a young man, his name is Stanley Kubrick, makes a movie called The Killing. Have you ever seen The Killing, Nick? I did a long time ago. Yeah. The Killing is one of those Stanley Kubrick movies that just gets lost in true the grandiose movies that came after it. Agreed. Like in the shadows. But The Killing is great. I saw it one time. I saw it on Encore. I feel like I'm going to mention Encore a lot this episode. <laughs> like the, the Encore loves heist movies. They do. Like They're very heisty. They're, they're very I'm gonna heisty. Stop, I'm going to stop anyway. Every time you say heisty, I feel like you're mispronouncing antihistamine. But... um. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's like, geez, God damn it. <laughs> no, it's a great movie, but like nobody really does the whole Kubrick filmography anymore. I agree. I've watched it a couple times just because I'm a Kubrick nerd. It's when he was still in the studio system. So it was basically a script that was assigned to him. Yeah. So it wasn't like the Kubrick stuff that would come later where he was screaming at people and being in charge and no, it has to be more symmetrical. And Shelley Duvall is having a mental breakdown, but it's really good though. It's really good. And if you ever want to see in my mind, the true, true beginning of the heist movie, it's the killing because there will be references to the killing in some of the other movies we will talk later. But the idea of these different characters, they're going to rob a racetrack. They're going to rob a horse racing track on a particular day. They're going to steal a lot of money, but Steven Soderbergh would be influenced by this movie. But yes, the killing also, do you know who stars in the killing? I don't remember. Sterling Hayden. God, I can't get away from this man now. In the 50s, Sterling Hayden was, he was George Clooney. He was the heist guy. George Clooney in the mid-2000s is the... He was the guy for the heist movie. Can we get George Clooney another heist movie? I'm sure Steven Soderbergh has been trying. Oh, I know. He is trying desperately. This time I want to go to Asia with my friends. Yeah. And do it. You know what? The problem is Steven Soderbergh's down for it, but he's refusing to shoot it on anything other than his iPhone. <laughs> he has not made a movie in two years that was not on his iPhone. <laughs> was Logan Lucky on an iPhone? I don't think so. That was before that, though. Yeah, okay. All Logan right, Lucky's actually like a few years old now. Agreed. And it's a great heist movie as well. It is. We can, and so I think that's a little bit of the history. The But after The Killing, The Killing was a success. It was a big financial success at the time. And it gave us Stanley Kubrick as well as truly solidified for modern Hollywood the heist movie. And then ever since then, there have been at least a couple of movies every decade from Hollywood of major budget with major stars of heist movies. And we were talking about this a little bit as well. Something we should maybe establish is some of the heist rules, if you will, that Die Hard is not one. Even so though you're going to fixate on this the whole show. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. There are movies that have heist elements in them, but that is not the point of the movie. Yeah. Like that we were talking about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Has kind of heisty elements, but. They're after something, but it's for the greater good. Right. And they're white people just trying to steal from other cultures. Yeah. Which doesn't count because white people have never done anything bad before based on the history I was taught in high school. Very convenient. <laughs> The Nazis are worse. We don't need them running around with the Ark of the Covenant, which I don't know if you guys know this, but scientifically, if you look at the Ark of the Covenant, it'll melt your face. Yeah. That's true. That actors never been anything else. Judaism is hardcore, okay? If you get that Ark of the Covenant. That's what, actually, that's what Brian Tepps has tattooed across his stomach. <laughs> says Judaism is hardcore. Yeah. Don't look into the Ark of the Covenant to remind himself. That's just a little, that's a little tip. Yeah. It's a little tip. Also, don't drink from, I don't give a shit what weird old knight tells you that it's the fucking holy grail, don't drink from it. I don't give a shit either way. I mean, pour it all over your dad's bullet wounds if you want, but don't drink from it because it will also I, melt your face. I made that mistake at Coachella. It mm -hmm. took me two months to recover. Mm -hmm. Did you see this tooth? It's gone. Oh, I thought it, it didn't heal back. No. Of the arc. It wasn't. No. It was wrong. You chose poorly. No, I. there was one cup. He said he was the knight. <laughs> I drank it. And then I danced a fucking LCD sound system. That just had Molly in it. It did. It was just Molly. <laughs> it was Molly. Which, you know. They didn't even play that year. That's a fair. I just wanted Sony's yard. <laughs> it's a fair give and take. Okay, so we're just going to get into some of the movies that came out 
and I'll go through a little bit chronologically, but just some of the Dog Day Afternoon comes out in 1975. That is a great movie. Agreed. Goes into a little bit of our conversation, though. A heist movie, but a heist gone wrong. Yeah, because the whole... It's like the MacGuffin for the character study is the heist. Yes. You have these two fuck-ups, and they go, and they fuck this up, and then... You just watch all this human drama. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing we're talking about Reservoir Dogs. It's like heist gone wrong. And like you really don't see the heist. You just see them running from cops and shooting old ladies mm. who shot uh, Tim Roth. <laughs> so true. like the heist gone wrong thing is just human drama character studies. Yeah. And those, a lot of those are better than the actual heist movies because how many times can you watch Mark Wahlberg do anything really? <laughs> That's a very fair point. Yeah. I could watch him wear surgical scrubs and hide in Matt Damon's house with a silenced pistol over and over again. <laughs> he was wearing a track shoot and <laughs> those little things on his feet. Yeah. Like, like yeah. the, right. The, yeah. yeah. But no, no, no. I'd watch it all day. <laughs> I could watch that over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Especially just, Matt Damon goes, oh, come on. You no, know, he just goes, just do it. <laughs> he doesn't say, he goes, all right. <laughs> Buckets. And then he says, Lisa Dave. Yeah. The original line was, well, at least you're not Affleck. <laughs> I knew it would be you, Marky Mark. I knew it would be you. So, and then Marky Mark shot him because Marky Mark does not like to be called that. No. He also he doesn't like Vietnamese people, but nobody brings that up anymore. That, wait a second. Are you saying that there have been racist people from Boston? No, no, no. no. Massachusetts? There's a racist person from Boston. There's only one. And it's Marky Mark. Yeah. <laughs> However, Wahlburgers as a burger are a crime against humanity. I want to put that out. Yeah. I also don't let <laughs> Vietnamese people in the restaurant. <laughs> None of this is true. Please don't beat us up, Wahlberg family. No, leave us alone because we're not Vietnamese. I'm just going to keep stressing this point <laughs> over and over. This is the episode. Yes. For no good reason, mm-hmm. I decide to take down Mark Wahlberg's career. Yeah, we're really going to do that. Uh, okay. Go get him, Jeff. I love Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon is game-changing on so many levels about what characters can be in terms of your lead characters. Your main protagonist, who at the time in the 70s is a guy who wants to get his boyfriend a sex change so that he can become a woman and then they can live together, and he thinks this is a good idea. It's based on a a real thing. Uh, Gattaca! Gattaca! (laughs) Is he yelling Gattaca? But... Sidney Lumet was an amazing director. If if you don't know who Sidney Lumet is, I mean, he directed Network. He directed The Verdict, 12 Angry Men. I mean, do yourself a favor. We'll, we'll have a Sidney Lumet episode at some point. Yeah. That'd be a really fun one to do. So, Spoiler alert. The movie's based on the true story. Yeah. And this is how old we are. When I first saw it, that guy was still in prison. Yeah. Because he got 25 years. Yeah. And uh, he was also some bullshit because he didn't hurt anybody. I know, but still. I know. He did try to rob a bank, but he failed at it and... And his 25 best, his, years? Yeah, his best friend wound up getting shot. It's a bummer. He didn't hurt any of the hostages. No. I mean, I feel like 25 years is kind of steep. I know. 10 years. Okay. I'm now the Supreme Court Justice. <laughs> I'll take you over. All the people who have nonviolent drug offenses are released immediately. There you go. There you go. And that brings up a little bit of a side genre of heist movies, which is the failed heist movie you brought up. Reservoir Dogs, which we can talk about how 
for instance, a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies have at least a heist element in them. Uh, Jackie Brown certainly does. Jackie Brown is great. That's a yeah, true... That's a heist movie. Right. Well, that'll go into heist neo-noirs, but also... Oh, man, he's one of my favorite authors. What's wrong with my brain? Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard. That a lot of Elmore Leonard's books are either neo-noirs or heist movies or a combo of the two. Out of Sight being yeah, another one absolutely. that we'll talk about. Out of Sight being a great movie. The first time Steven Soderbergh would work with George Clooney before even Ocean's Eleven. Uh, spoiler alert, I am definitely going to tell you to watch Out of Sight because, and we can just talk about it. I mean, Out of Sight's a great movie. It's fantastic. It really is. It's so good that another studio let Michael Keaton play the same character from Jackie Brown in the movie because <laughs> yes. they're like, look, if we don't do this, we're going to be assholes. This movie's really <laughs> the good. The part where Michael Keaton goes to Dennis Farina's house because Dennis Farina plays J-Lo's dad and yeah. J-Lo is dating Michael Keaton and he's wearing a shirt that says FBI and Dennis Farina goes, do you ever wear one that says undercover? Yeah. <laughs> also, if Dennis Freen is in your movie, it's probably a heist movie. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Great Dennis Freen was yes. in your film. Yes. Then there's definitely cops involved somehow. Yeah. Some sort of cop-like behavior is happening if Dennis Freen is there. But, well, we can get into Steven Soderbergh if we want. Steven Soderbergh. Soderbergh, half his movies are heist movies. Yes. I mean, we were talking about Logan Lucky, Ocean's 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 8, 31 and a half. His weird Fellini version of the heist movie in which they steal someone's psyche. I don't know. I don't know. I'd watch, I watch that. that. I yeah. watch <laughs> Fellini just comes back from the dead. It's like, you know what? That's a good idea. But- what of the maybe that's a little thing we get into. What's uh, your favorite of the Soderbergh heist movies? If you if you were oh, forced, man. if I was forced, I mean, you are. This is our yeah. podcast. As much as I love Out of Sight, mm-hmm. and I saw Logan Lucky twice in theaters. I saw that in Good Time, which is a failed heist movie. Also, which also it's not really a heist movie at all. Just, but I'd say the Safdie brothers have a lot of heisty things. In yeah, there. they're very heisty. Yeah, you think you're more heisty than I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely I, a super stressed out Adam Sandler. Yeah. I have to say Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven is one of the Agreed. most rewatchable films ever made. Yes. And it's Ocean's 13, too. Ocean's 13. I like Ocean's 12, too. Ocean's 12, they don't give a shit. There's yeah. not even a heist. Yes. They steal a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just upset at French people. They just, yeah. yeah. There's like five minutes of them talking shit about, um, what's her name? Um, who was agoraphobic. Bronte. Oh, Emily Bronte, the yeah. writer. The writer. Yes. There's like a whole like weird. That's oh yes, famous agoraphobic Emily Bronte. Yeah. Or Emily Dickinson, the writer, the poet. I think it's Bronte. Okay, but Emily Dickinson also is. Yeah. Well, either way, they're like there's just this weird conversation between Matt Damon. It's like there's a lot of famous agoraphobics. <laughs> like nobody puts that in a heist movie. <laughs> just them just shooting this shit and like yelling at each other over nothing. Also, it regardless of whether you like any of those actors, it's. Soderbergh has this amazing way of making ensemble movies work. Yeah. His whole master talent, him and David O. Russell are maybe the two best, in my mind, just sheer ensemble directors where they have all these characters talking all the time. They're going after each other. They have all these crazy little storylines and egos and character flaws and character quirks, and they're just up each other's butt the entire time. And it's such a bizarre 
thing that seems like it won't work, but it works. Yeah, it's know. like the reverse of family holidays. You have all these people talking over each other, all these different characters, and it works because yes. it's well crafted. And none of these people, you're a fucking uncle. But like, <laughs> some of them are Bernie Mac, though. Which, some of them, oh, which I wish it was Bernie Mac. <laughs> um, but like, Steven Soderbergh crafts his movie so well for so many years. I thought I liked Matt Damon as an actor. <laughs> oh, don't bash on. I'm Damon gonna bash like. on Damon the whole time. You already did the Matt Damon thing, so I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> By my powers of detection, these men came from Providence. Providence. Uh, I like Matt David. I will say that my favorite Soderbergh, though, is still Out of Sight. Yeah. I, I love Out of Sight. Maybe it hit me in, like, formative years, but it's early Clooney being super Clooney. Everybody, oh, yeah. like, Ving Rhames. Steve and Zahn. Steve Zahn. And Jennifer Lopez's best movie by Leaps and Absolutely. Bounds. Don't you talk that way about Anaconda, though, okay? I will all talk right. all the shit I want about Anaconda. <laughs> I so wish. <laughs> With a giant snake. Wow. I'm, I will say this, and out of sight, did a giant snake spit up John Boyd's face? I don't think so. <laughs> I did not understand that sentence at all. <laughs> what? That's right. That's a little spoiler alert for Anaconda. No, I seriously have no idea what you just said. <laughs> that in the movie Anaconda, there's a part where a big giant snake spits up John Boyd's face. He sips up the whole body, then he says something. Right, he's like, sucks him back he's in. He's like, yeah. Angelina Jolie wasn't my kid. <laughs> and then the snake eats it again. Yeah. Right, I think that's what he said. What's another heist movie that comes Well, we're on Clooney. We might as well bring up Three Kings. Uh, also, David O. Russell. And, we just uh, mentioned Wahlberg. him. Yeah, and Spike Jones. Spike Jones. Yes. I love Spike Jones. I love Spike Jones. He should Jones. act more. He really should. I'm just... Wolf of Wall Street, Jackass movies, and yeah. Three Kings. I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm pretty sure that's the entire Spike Jones acting pantheon. Solid. It's very solid. And kind of Giovanni Rabisi doing a Spike Jones impression in Lost in Translation. Yeah, but it was a little too Yes. Giovanni Rabisi. Agreed. Agreed. But that is Sophia was married to him. It's kind of about him a little bit. No, I know. I'm just saying. I yes. don't like Giovanna Ribisi as Spike Jones. I love Giovanna Ribisi. I agree. But it offends me. <laughs> as the guy who... Then I have to, if it offends me, then I have to defend Spike Jones <laughs> because of Giovanna Ribisi. That is fair. That is very fair. I will say this. Three Kings is an amazing movie. It's really well structured. It's really well paced. I saw it twice in the theater. It does have bad politics in its writing, in which... Basically, the storyline is because it took place before 9-11, but after the first Gulf War and that there were Iraqi people, quote unquote, who wanted America to come back and take out Saddam Hussein. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, we did eventually do that. It didn't go so hot. It went as though a couple million Iraqi people died. And a whole bunch of American soldiers, and well, you're you're confu- there's like on. ISIS. You're, you're confusing history with the movie, right? They didn't want all of America to come back. They wanted these three Americans. No, no, and Jamie Kennedy. No, in the movie though, they get involved no, with know, like the Iraqi underground, I'm, who's I'm, like we George Bush screwed us by not killing Saddam Hussein. And so the movie has a weird, you know, some of those movies, Charlie uh, Wilson's no, no, no. War and yeah. stuff, where you're like, eh, this age is weird. I'm not saying, though, in the movie, the Iraqis didn't want the army to come. They just wanted George Clooney and Ice Cube. Oh, that's fair. Oh, I, yeah. I get that, yeah. They didn't want everybody. They, they, 
<laughs> they just wanted they just David want Russell. Jube. <laughs> they wanted these three actors <laughs> to show up. That I get. Yeah. That I get. Also, if there's ever a reason to get a DVD still, they have a thing on the DVD of Ice Cube's acting lessons. Ooh. And it's like this little behind the scenes thing they shot where it's like, Ice Cube's like, yeah, I've been practicing this all day. This is my big thing. I got to focus. I gotta, it's like, just just get away from me. I got to focus. And he's like, he's walking around. He's got this football with a bomb attached to it. And he's just like doing this thing over and over. And they're watching. And he's like, okay, here's, here's, here's his take. And then he walks up. He goes, yeah, we got these three cars. <laughs> it's the whole thing. And it's hilarious. I love that. Also, I saw a thing with Tom Hanks where this is completely separate. But Tom Hanks was talking about how People think that even the greatest actors are not before a scene just standing off in the corner going, we should we should go. We we should go. We we should go. We we should go. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, that's no, that's happening. That's, yeah. <laughs> he's like the highest level of acting. Meryl Streep is off in a corner grumbling to herself and then shows up and says, we should go. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> But I love Three Kings as a movie. They do pour oil in Mark Wahlberg's mouth, which is yes, because they learned don't he had to be the these people. <laughs> that is correct. Let's get away from that. Uh, so I'm bringing it up three more times. <laughs> maybe uh, another one. Maybe an '80s one. There was a lot of '80s heist movies. There's a movie called A Fish Called Wanda, great movie, which we have talked about. It's a fabulous movie. Kind of a little bit of a Monty Python movie as it involves a few Monty Python people. Also, Kevin Klein won an Oscar for it, which he deserved. Charles Crichton, Crichton directed it. Spoiler alert, he was British. I did a little bit of research on A Fish Called Wanda and Charles Crichton was like a, a theater director and really didn't direct much else other than A Fish Called Wanda. And it's very astounding because A Fish Called Wanda is so cinematically cool and has all these interesting elements and isn't a very interesting version, John Lithgow and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I mean, it's such a different version of the heist movie where some of the characters are Wait, banded. You see John Lithgow. Oh, John Cleese. I'm sorry. Terribly sorry. That was just a mistake. John Lithgow was in the heist movie, Harry and the Hendersons. Yes. In which some Americans stole a Sasquatch. No! Get out of here. <laughs> Nobody loves you. Steal that Sasquatch. Get him. Put him in the car. Go back to Chewbacca's house. <laughs> just another tall John guy. Yeah, there's a lot of tall Johns. (laughs) But yeah, Fish Called One. Don't overthink it, Brian. A great one. What's another one you got on your, uh, you're thinking about in the heisty type movies? Well, if we're sticking 80s, I'm going Thief. Ooh. Talking about our boy, Michael Michael Mann. Mann. Michael Mann is maybe, arguably, the greatest heist director there is. I'm going to preface this before we really get into Heat and Thief and all this. I'm just here to suck that Michael Mann heist and dick. That's all it is. Go back and listen. Go back and subscribe. Go yes. back and download. Please whatever do. the things, whatever the things we tell you to do, go do that. Go do and that. Listen to Michael. Please, Mann. We need your help, please. Keep Blockbuster Film School alive. But Michael Mann, where Steven Soderbergh is a master heist director with fun. Michael Mann goes the opposite way. Yes, his stuff has a darkness to it. it. Life and death. You are on the edge of your seat about. These characters that you don't even know why you've come to care about them so much, but you have. Yeah. And absolutely James Caan in that movie. You like so Jim badass. Belushi in that movie. I know. And also, you don't like him when the movie's over. I you remember who he is. The last time I watched that movie, that Tangerine Dream uh, score. score hit me right in my face. 
I realized also that Tangerine Dream did the score for Risky Business. I think that score is something. Even if you just listen to the Thief score, is amazing. It is such yeah. a insanely cool piece of music as a big giant score. Um, you can see old Chicago, a Chicago that doesn't exist anymore. Stylized to absolute beauty. Oh my God. And really, truly a heist movie. They are thieves. Yes, that's right. That's the name of the movie. Yeah, nailed it. What? Uh, they are, but that he is a master safe cracker, yeah. James Khan, and you get to watch him work. You get to actually watch him crack safes and case places. And you know that there's no way out of this. You no. know that there. he thinks there is. I think that's something we should bring up about heist movies is that very often in the failed heist movie, you know that it's already failed. But in a lot of the heist movies, it's the last time. It's the last one. Yeah. We're going to get this. We're going to do it. We're going to get away. We're going to escape with our last big score. And it doesn't work. No. That's the thing. Like, Soderbergh, you have the fun thieves. Mm-hmm. Like, these are just, like, you know, fly in the seat of your pants, guys. Even um, James Bond's character in Logan Lucky, he's, mm-hmm. like, in jail. And Eat, he just he asks for hard eggs. eggs. Yeah. He got fake salt in his sock. He's like, that's great. <laughs> Michael Mann, you have career criminals. Yeah. The guy who sells in the plans. Oh, I know. I can't remember that actor. The, uh, I don't remember like 20 minutes later. Yeah. But uh, he's in a wheelchair. They never mentioned why, but he, you know he's a career criminal. Who Tom Noonan? Up, Tom Noonan. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Like career criminals in, the, in heist movies are grizzled people. Yeah. They're in it, and they're always looking their sh- over their shoulder. It is not fun. And, yeah, like, fucking, you could wind up with Wayne Grow, yeah. or you could wind up with Val Kilmer. You don't know how it's going to go either time. Yeah. You don't. And I feel like Soderbergh, no matter what, though, a lot of times in Soderbergh stuff, the characters end up, he's like the f- happy ending yeah. one. Even if it ends up bad, even if you have to go back to jail... It's still not that bad. No. You know, you George Clooney in Out of Sight, he makes the right choice as a human, and yeah. that fucks him. Like, that's not that big a spoiler. No. You know, it's just, he could just take the thing and get away, but he makes the right choice as a good guy, as the protagonist. And Ocean's Eleven is truly like the outlier where, spoiler alert if you don't know this, but the thieves win. They, yeah, that's why they, there's two sequels <laughs> and a spinoff. Right, and they preposterously do sometimes, where it's like, how would you know this? Why would... <laughs> Brad Pitt knows everything about Andy Garcia's entire life, where he'll go at any moment, like, I guess. I, it's fun. It's it is fun. fun, but it's almost science fiction. It's basically like, you've figured out that Andy, Andy Garcia is going to eat ramen at 10.35 p.m., and he likes to eat the ramen slow, so it'll take him exactly seven minutes. And then when that's, it's like, okay, that's, I guess. That's, how quickly do you eat your ramen if you think eating it in seven minutes I like is to, slow? I like to burn my face. I like to Jesus burn my mouth. Jesus Christ, you guys. I like to, I You've never been fat a day in your life, have you? <laughs> fat people can't eat that fast in public because A, they're fat and they look like that. B, if you get one spot on yourself as a fat person, you look like a Walmart chopper. And I said that, and I don't give a shit. I mean, like, the people who really go for it. Walmart. Mark Wahlberg hates the Vietnamese. The Walmart heist movie I would watch. That's just called Capitalism the Movie. That's fair. Uh, Thief is great. I'm sure it'll probably go on our wall. But speaking of Walmart movie, heist movie, 
I just want to bring up one thing that keeps popping on into my mind of the heist genre. And although I know we have agreed that Die Hard is not truly a heist movie, it does always remind me of McTiernan talking about how in the original script for Die Hard that Rickman, Mr. McLean, him and his guys are supposed to be just terrorists. They're supposed to just want to kill everybody and... McTiernan came in and said, no one's going to like that. Everyone's going to automatically hate them. And there's going to be no real, you want a protagonist that you might relate to a little bit. And he automatically said, what if they were thieves, right? Because America, particularly the American audience, but maybe the entire world audience, when your antagonists are thieves, they're a little bit likable. They're a little bit relatable. You know, it's everybody in the world may not actually want to steal or may not actually want to have a heist, but they've thought about it. It's kind of a fun fantasy. You know, it's a, that's a fun fantasy. Doing terroristic acts is not a fun fantasy, but ooh, what if I ripped off Walmart and stole a billion dollars with my cool friends in an interesting heist movie? You know, there's that element, you know what I'm saying? And just as we're talking about it, it kind of made me think about that idea of why the heist movie is so popular and it's fun. It's fun to, you know, when Andy Garcia is being a dick to you, you should steal money from his casino. That's yeah. Plus nobody wants to be poor their whole life. No agreed. Well, right. Cause we live in this weird capitalistic system and also stealing money. If that's all you're doing or stealing a, a big valuable prize from rich people who's really being hurt. You know, oh, some rich people lose some of their money. Oh, no. You know, there's no the heist movie has that built in thing that then Michael Mann would tell you, you think it's going to be easy. There's going to be heartbreaking violence because of money and how valuable it is and how to the death people are willing to fight over it. But Steven Soderbergh would tell you if you have Brad Pitt and his sweet abs, you can steal whatever you want. It's pretty fun. Also, if you have Elliot Gould and a little ninja guy, that's a little thing. Um, All right. So, Nick, though, I think because there are 900 million of these movies, I think we should just go into. So you want to throw out some Do these little quick little rapid fire? What do you think? Yeah, for that. So we just kind of have a little some hot takes on some heist movies. If you want to you want to start or you want me to start? Uh, You go. Uh, Baby Driver. Baby Driver was great until. Kevin Spacey. Well, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Uh, no, Dude, Baby Kevin Driver is a creep. No way. Baby Driver is a lot more enjoyable until like six months later. Kevin Spacey's like, oh yes, I'm a piece of shit. But um, plot wise, not great. The movie is just set up so Edgar Wright can make a musical <laughs> action movie with all of his favorite tracks. That's I'm all great. that movie is. On that level, it's amazing. Edgar Wright knows editing and cues and smash cuts like Agreed. nobody else but great driving scenes great driving scenes i don't know the female characters are all one-dimensional yeah everybody's one-dimensional i feel a little bit john ham's a little 3d i get yeah i mean a little bit but yeah different than i did feel a i love edgar wright but there's a little bit of a departure from his mega 3d characters where he has all as comic booky as they feel they're very three-dimensional Shaun of the dead is a very complex character you know all of his movies often have these movies that on the surface seem 
very fun and goofy, but have this great depth. Baby Driver was like, no, it's this is a Sheen movie. This is yeah. a not the, this is the, I'm going to make a hundred million dollars finally at the box office. <laughs> yeah, I I failed a few times, made cult classics. Now I'm going to give the audience what they want. Yeah. And also, the one thing I will say about Kevin Spacey um, is a creep, and always played a creep. Swimming with sharks, like did no one see this coming? He's a terrifying human being. He is a terrifying creep show, and yeah, and then people I were mean, like, he's a terrifying creep show in real life. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> This is blowing my mind. This is my own little weird hot take on Kevin Spacey that I know that he's a horrifying creep show of a person, but it's just something that I've mused on where it's like, he plays a really good abuser and criminal in movies. It's almost like that's what he built his career on. It's a little spooky in that way. And I'm glad he was finally shut down and called out for his crimes. But I also would say that there are plenty of people who are not pieces of shit who play great pieces of shit. Alan Rickman, for instance, I don't think. Christopher McDonald. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Hugh Jackman. There's a lot of people who can play dastardly sort of characters and are not themselves dastardly. Hugh Grant. Oh, wait, no, he is Hugh Grant. (laughs) No, he's fine. He's he's never done anything evil. No, he's never done anything. He doesn't give a shit about anybody. He is soulless and dead yeah. inside. He, he'll tell you, yes, well, you know, yes, of course, I'm kind of dead inside. I, I'm so, I suppose, I suppose, I, I stutter, you know, that's the thing I do, I stutter a little bit. It's a character thing I do. That's my Hugh Grant impression in which he just sputters out for every movie. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, suppose, I suppose this is kind of, uh, I suppose. All right, so anyways, what's a... Bottle Rocket. Bottle, okay, Bottle Rocket's going on my list. I love Bottle Rocket. Yeah. The breakthrough for Mr. Wes Anderson, the breakthrough for the Wilson brothers. I'm out. You're out. I'm pretty sure he's out. No gang. Maybe one of the most unique of any movies. Yeah. It's a heist movie in which they rob a bookstore. Go on the lamb. <laughs> Go on the lamb with the money. Thief, Mr. James Conn himself. Sonny from The Godfather. Applejack. I adore. I adore Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Bottle Rocket is truly the ultimate Wes Anderson of being whimsical and being fun, but also having edge, having stakes, having an R-ratedness. I love Bottle Rocket. What do you think about Bottle Rocket? I love Bottle Rocket. Yeah. It was one of the movies where I like bought the DVD without having seen the movie beforehand and just put it in. I was like, okay, it's a good choice. Also, like for some reason, I never heard 2000 Man before by the Rolling Stones and that end scene where he's like running through the factory. I think about that song and that scene all the time. Wes Anderson also at one point was so amazing at using pop music in his movies, the particularly the British invasion stuff or things that were sounded like British invasion, like Elliot Smith and just really picking the best before he entered his Tim Burton stage of being too famous. And I suppose maybe surrounded by sycophants, his edge to his weird whimsical movies. Rushmore to me is almost a perfect movie. It is 90 minutes long in terms of cinema, in terms of screenwriting, in terms of, this is how the story works. This is how the inciting incident works. This is how it moves. The characters move. Characters grow. Characters become different. By the end, it's not necessarily a good ending or a bad ending. It's just the perfect ending. And I feel like Wes Anderson used to be able to pull that off. Here's the thing about Wes Anderson. He is on his Margot Tannenbaum career path. Oh, my God. He's making the movies that nobody... That's so good. That nobody really likes anymore. Yes. And then he's going to fall off for a little bit, which is happening now. That French movie got like pushed back and pushed back. Which I there are no was, movies out. I heard it was supposed to be 
good though. Yeah. It was going back to R rated, which I appreciated. Which, which is hopefully this is it. Yeah. Because they release it and nobody fucking sees it. And then like two years from now, everyone's like, this is like the best Wes Anderson movie ever. But right now he's in that Margot phase where he's just sitting in Bill Murray's bathroom smoking <laughs> cigarettes. He'll be great again. He's gonna come back. He's gonna do it. He just he needs to admit he's in love with Richie. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. And the guy who's in the the new French West Thalame, what's his name? Oh, uh, Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. I, I kind of feel bad for him a little bit, where he's like, "I am now an A list movie star. It's the end of the world." He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. He'll be yeah. fine. Thank you for bringing up Bottle Rocket because it's amazing. I'm gonna bring up a 1991 movie. You can go back and listen to our Catherine Bigelow episode. It's one of my favorite episodes that we've done. It is a little movie called Point Break in which two handsome boys are in love, but in love in a way that they can't quite describe because they're in love with adrenaline and surfing and tank girl, and they don't understand that, man, sometimes you got to rob a bank with a Ronald Reagan mask on, and sometimes you're so in love with your boyfriend, but he got away, and you got to shoot the gun in the air. It's nonsense. What do you think about Point Break, Nick? Still not a huge fan. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure I said that in the Catherine Bigelow episode. Yeah, maybe. You may have. I may have ignored that. <laughs> I may have crazy. said to myself, I'm going to ignore that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a fine film. I also understand that it is one of those movies that's, and I give Catherine Bigelow a lot of credit, it's so different in terms of a heist movie, in terms of an action movie. It's kind of dreamy. It's kind of, it has a feminine edge to an action movie, and I loved it. I loved it. Because like, it's a gay love story. Yeah, I loved it. I loved, there's dudes covered in water all the time. And and honestly, though, like Tank Girl looks so hot in it. You know, I mean, in a way that's not the way that Joel Sue, the yeah, no, take a top ball. You know, it's not that. It has a sexuality to it that's not the normal sexuality to these heist movies where it's just machismo. It talks about machismo. It talks about dynamics of dudes and crime and why you would do it and the hating capitalism or why you would support the government. I mean, it's such a strange movie and it's so grungy in a way because it came out in like 91. It's got this true grunginess to it. And I'm sorry, Patrick Swayze's hair should have gotten like second billing. Should have been like Patrick Swayze, Patrick Swayze's hair, Keanu Reeves, like on the poster, just saying, just putting that out there. The Bodhisattva, but I think it's a fine movie. It's, it's a fine, fine film. <laughs> There's a part where Flea tries to put Keanu Reeves into a lawnmower. <laughs> if you haven't seen Point Break, we tried to explain it to you on the Catholic Bigger episode, Bigelow episode. I think you should watch it. But uh, what's another one? Speaking of gay love stories, mm. this one works better than uh, Point Break. Mm. It's Bound. Ooh, I have not seen Bound. Can you explain Bound for the... Bound is Gina Gershon, and you've seen Bound. I have seen Bound. Yeah. <laughs> I'm registering it as you're saying. It's uh, Gina Gershon, Jennifer Tilly, yes. our neighbors, and mm-hmm. they very quickly fall in love, and then they decide to rip off Joey Pants' $2 million of the mafia money, and uh, is directed by the Rakowskis. Based on Risky Business, don't rip off Joey Pants. Yes. He will steal. But it works with them. <laughs> Because they got a bunch of white paint. Spoiler Ooh, spoiler alert. I haven't seen it since the 90s. I haven't either. I'm just going to go off. Like, I usually don't do this. I'm just going to go off of memory. Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon 
are fucking phenomenal in this. They are so good. Joey Pants is legitimately scary. Not like Sopranos scary. I know, but he is kind of scary. He's scary, scary. yeah. He, I love him in Risky Business. I mean, he's, yeah. there's a realistic quality to his scariness. Yeah. There's it's like, just because he's 100% Italian. And also, that's a guy you could actually see on the street and who could show up to you and just start talking with that voice and that acidity. Yeah. And you, His net worth's not that high. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Jennifer Tilly and... Um, Gina Gershon are really good in this and they're super believable and they fucking just, you know. Gina Gershon's career. <laughs> and Jennifer Tilly's. Yeah. Jennifer Tilly's still Pants. running around a little bit. She's doing a lot of voiceover work and stuff, but I don't know what Gina Gershon is up to these days. Let's go to something to Inception. We haven't talked about some of the sci-fi versions of the heist movies. What's Inception? Inception is a film starring the guy from Titanic. And oh, Billy Zane. I love Billy Zane movies. also the guy from Third Rock from the Sun. And John Lithgow. We, another tall John. And Ken Watabe and Ellen Page and uh, Bane and the Scarecrow and Tom Berenger and Michael Caine. It is directed by Christopher Nolan. It's very upsetting to some people. I would say the people who think QAnon is real uh, do not like Inception because they are too stupid to understand it. But... I had no trouble understanding it. It's wild. It's the idea yeah. of going into people's dreams, going into their dreamscape deeper and deeper and deeper into the dreamscape. And each time in the dreamscape, it, it gets wilder and weirder. And if you go into people's dreams to change their minds about something, you yourself have to be careful because it becomes very spooky and your own dream shit may be in there. And I love some of the stuff Nolan did. Like, that when they go into the dream stuff, spoiler alert a little bit, but there's this really, Nolan loves to use this very visceral soundtrack stuff where it's like, like these almost like David Lynchian sort of noise things. And, and what's, but, but almost insanely to a level, a level of bizarre filmmaking genius that that is just the score. Yeah slowed down because when you're in the dream, the score itself slows down and just becomes these tones, this, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. Maybe not, maybe not some of that, but you know what I'm saying? Also, Christopher Nolan is pretty famous. Some of his scores are not. No, I honestly, I was thinking about the tones from, dark night today mm-hmm. i was watering the plants at work and there's just like this weird screeching noise and it reminded me exactly the tone in the dark night where he pulls up in the semi-truck and the cop's like yo you can't park here and he goes wrong and he shoots him it's just that that yeah. so good so yeah but inception which was scored by han zimmer to a, uh, a big nolan collaborator and i geek out about it all the yeah. time i listen i fall asleep listening to interstellar mm. but um Inception's a great movie, and it's also a heist on the audience because everybody spends the whole time looking at that fucking top. That's mm. not his thing. Oh. It's his kids' faces. That's how you know he's awake. Yeah. But the whole movie is just, oh, this top. This, it's not even the thing. He's pulling the wool over the audience's eyes, and there's also so many metaphors that people come up with this movie. Like, this whole movie is about making movies. Mm. Leo DiCaprio mm. looks like 
Nolan, he's the director. Third Rock from the Sun is the screenwriter. Yeah. And then the location person is Ellen Page. And then literally the guy playing an actor is an actor in the thing. And then his second guessing over the script is his wife. He's sabotaging his own movie <laughs> with his own inner demons. It's so good. It works on so many levels, but also go fucking see it on the biggest screen yeah. you can when oh. movies come back out because it's yes. amazing. I saw this on the IMAX. It was the first IMAX movie I saw that wasn't like on a field trip to the fucking, uh, <laughs> the what is that piece of shit called over there that tourists go to? The Shut Aquarium. No. <laughs> Leave the octopus out of this. Uh, <laughs> Octopuses can escape. Just so you guys know, at yeah. any moment, octopuses can escape. We're lucky they don't rule us yet. Yes. This is the new podcast, Octo Talk. Not the planetarium. The uh, With Bubba Gump. Oh, the Navy Pier. Navy Pier. Yes. Which you got kicked out of once. Anyways. Um, <laughs> with Bubba Gump. Yeah, no. Like, it's it was amazing. How did uh, I know it? Because of Bubba Gump. Where else is there one? Shrimp Scampy. Yeah. <laughs> no, Inception is a great heist movie. It's a great movie all around, and everybody does a really good job in that. And, you know. It's also one of the wildest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I give Christopher Nolan his, when he makes his corporate movies, if you will, like Batman, and then he says, now I want $100 million to make my movie that I wrote, that I came up with. He's a little bit like Fincher where he doesn't really miss that shot. No. He's been waiting. He's been biding his time. I've got a shot of something I'm going to make. Yeah. It's a bummer that Tenet has not come out because Tenet is now sort of supposedly kind of that. Yeah, you can tell. On a pure entertainment level, Nolan is hard to be beat. It's true. Of our big budget summer blockbuster directors, it's hard to beat Nolan. Yeah. It really is. I mean, like, I would rather see a David Fincher movie, but I don't know if David Fincher is truly exactly that same pantheon, you know? Yeah. Like, if David Fincher directed a Batman movie, it would make a billion dollars. It would. But... But it doesn't take three years to shoot. Yeah, but he doesn't do that. That's not what he does. I have to throw in Set It Off from 1996, which... I love directed by F Gary Gray, but it has Jada Pinkett, Queen Latifah, Vivica A. Fox. And it is such a cool bank robbery movie. If you haven't seen set it off, I know it's nineties and it kind of got a bad rap cause it was like girl power sort of, that's how they portrayed it. But I went and saw it in the theater and it's such a good, cool, well-paced bank robbery heist movie about these characters that you actually care about. And for the 90s to have an almost entirely all-black cast, an all-female cast, but it's also just a really cool movie. And it's if I were to really say a Hollywood Sheen movie that's about a bank robbery heist, that's just that. It's just, in a way, a kind of simple story that has lots of crazy, interesting character stuff going on within it. I like Set It Off. I like Set It Off a lot. I watched it again not that long ago. I think it still stands up. Have you seen uh, Set It Off? Yeah, I was, I was alive in that. <laughs> they also made it for $8 million bucks. Yeah. And it made like $60 million and was one of those reasons why there were some of these movies, like why Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett and, you know, Vivica A. Fox. Well, had, I mean, like, Queen Latifah was a huge star by then already. They were, But they were TV stars. She was in movies too. Agreed, but... 
Set It Off was cool, though. No, I know, but I mean, <laughs> give Queen Latifah more credit than that. I give her tons of credit. I mean, she's genuinely a, a big movie star, a big personality. I would I would love to see, like, PT or something put her in a movie. I think she's really cool. I think she's a really great actress. I think she should be put in more stuff. And um, I think there's just a – maybe just racism in America or something, but that, you know, people say, oh, Queen, oh, Queen Ladiva movie. I don't know why they say that, but set it off is cool. I think it's cool. Great soundtrack, too. Great soundtrack. We're getting close here. We got. We're gonna have to do the wall soon. I know. Like I said, there are nine hundred million. It's it's like the rom com episode, which you should listen to here at the Blockbuster Film School. So many heist movies. What's another one? What you got? Spanish Prisoner. Mmm. I've not seen hey. that in a long time, but hey, I Chicago really, really liked it. Hey, uh, David Mamet's got a lot of fucking yes. heist things with his movies. Really well constructed. He yeah. did put his wife in it, who is. You either love her or hate her. Like, uh, I have no strong opinions towards Rebecca Pigeon either way. <laughs> I know. It's strange that she only shows up in David Mamet movies. I've seen her in something else. I don't remember because she's not good. <laughs> but I don't hate her. No, I don't hate her. Yeah. But in that movie particularly, she's going up against some of like the coolest actors running around and and Campbell Scott. I like him in everything else he's been in more than this. Mm. He's so like just blank face, just oh well, how do I know if they're pulling a heist on me? Mm. Oh, Campbell Scott. My dad yelled a lot. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, Steve Martin's great, though. Ricky Jay is amazing. It's such a crazy story. Some great twists yeah. in it. Also, heist movies should have twists. They should have this a... Is, this entire... Every part of this movie is a twist. How often do you have a movie where Ed O'Neill and Steve Martin are in it, and they're both so fucking good? Some of those Ed O'Neill, Steve Martin scenes just blow my mind. They blow my mind that if you actually give those two... Two great actors who've never really been given a ton of roles that have really good writing, really interesting depths to their characters. And if you give that to those actors, they can do awesome stuff with it. Thank you for bringing up The Spanish Prisoner because that shit is wild style. I don't know. You got any other ones before we go to some of our gambits? I love Drive. I hate the fact that I love Drive. Drive is amazing. It's not as good as I remember it, but it's still fucking great. It's still great. For some reason, weird things stand out. I know I like a movie a lot, truly, when I just sometimes think about scenes that are not necessarily the main scenes. I think about the scene where Brian Cranston is smoking a cigarette, and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, oh... There used to be ashtrays all over this town. Sorry, sorry. And he just puts out his cigarette like immediately. And Brian Cranston is in that movie is one of the most tragic, beautiful performances. Brian Cranston is heartbreaking in that movie. Yeah. I mean, as good as he is, though. Yeah. Albert Brooks steals the fucking movie. Absolutely. With his no eyebrow, fucking manic face. Jesus Christ. Also, what's his name? Hellboy. Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. Playing a Jewish guy who wants to be an Italian gangster. Well, I don't know if you know this, but there have been some Jewish mobsters, particularly in Los Angeles. No, I know, but that's literally <laughs> that's literally how he told Nicholas Wedding Refn he was going to play it. Yes, he's like, I'm going to go as completely Jewish as I can, but I want like track suits mm-hmm. and I want a, a pizza place. He's still a gangster. Yeah, <laughs> he's in Hollywood too. 
<laughs> gotta have the look. But all those things. It's got movie to it that he's a stunt driver. Yeah. And I like Gosling a lot. I think Gosling, Gosling has, has great in this. depth to his. I think this is the first time I saw Oscar Isaac. Oh, also true. Yeah. And man, the beach scene with the mask where oh, it's, it's very Michael film. Myers slash Robocop or something. And you're, oh, this movie is quite a bit different than I thought it was going to be. This yeah. movie, there is a real nice second act twist that is so simple that is just, you thought this character was one thing, but he is not. And no. that's their second act twist. He is something entirely different. And that is such a cool, simple. I like Whining Refn a lot. I liked Neon Demon. I know his movies are weird as shit, but it's almost like this was one of the ones where his movie was weird as shit, but Hollywood and it collided and was borderline perfect, yeah. in my opinion. You got any more before we go to the dumpster? I don't know. <laughs> no, I just want to shout out Cliff Martinez. Yes. Also, yes, absolutely. Great score on that. I also want to shout out The Sting. The Sting is great. If you've never seen The Sting, that's uh, when Paul Newman and Robert Redford rip off Robert Shaw and in old-timey Chicago and uh, George Roy Hill, who directed Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. If you want to see the element of pop 70s cinema from Hollywood that's really good, it's The Sting. It's real. It's You get to see Redford and Newman be awesome and Robert Shaw be the bad guy. It's fun. All right. You want to go to the dumpster? Do a dumpster. Let's do the blockbuster dumpster. All right. What's your number one on your dumpster there, Nick? Let's start with my number two on my dumpster. Ooh, what's your number two on your dumpster? It's a tie. Ooh, okay. And it's a throw. It's a callback to how much love we just gave to David Mamet. <laughs> so it's two of his movies. Okay. He wrote Ronan under a pseudonym. Mm. But the movie he directed... Is simply called Heist. Oh, God. Where it's Gene Hackman, Delroy Lindo, Danny DeVito. <laughs> I mean, I love Danny DeVito. And I'm like, I don't know, there's a bunch of fucking people in it. It is one of the most boring movies <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> and like, the performances are sort of good. But it's like, even writing wise, it's not good. There's one scene in there, there's one line from that entire movie I remember where Danny DeVito's like, what do you mean you don't care about money? Everybody wants money. That's why it's called money. I was like, this is the least David Mamet movie I will see until Red Belt. <laughs> These are movies that David Mamet was allowed yeah. to make. <laughs> my dumpster, my first dumpster is going to be a movie that maybe will get people upset at me because it was a hit, but I have tried to watch it a couple times and I think it's real stupid. It is a movie called Now You See Me about like magicians who are trying to steal stuff and it's the cheesiest bunch of bullshit. <laughs> it's so I try and the dialogue is awful. It's basically like if you like puppet shows in Vegas, this is the movie for you. If you don't like puppet shows in Vegas, you are not going to be impressed by this movie. This movie is real stupid. I can't. Who gives a shit? It's like if the prestige was made by someone who got hit on the head with a cinder block. It's trash. Trash town, USA. Eat my shit. Now you see me. I like a lot of the people in the movie. It's not their fault. I like Mark Ruffalo and Jesse Eisenberg and Ilsa Fisher. It's just so stupid. It's, uh, I'm sorry. Okay, there we go. I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you love, I've seen your tattoo for Now You See Me. I know you love that movie. 
I'd rather slam my hand in a car door than watch that movie. <laughs> and I love a lot of those actors. It is just the cheesiest bunch of cheese. I'm, ugh. I cringed. I cringed. I'm going to say 15 times. It's worse than that part on Jeopardy where they ask people about themselves. I was just cringing. Just cringe. Ugh, ugh, ugh. It was rough. It was rough. I'm going to find a clip of somebody saying, oh, I, Alex, my favorite movie is uh, Catch Me If You Can. Not Catch Me If You Can. Now You See that? Me. Exactly. It's such a stupid title. Yeah. Now You See Me. Now You See Me too. And they added Harry Potter. And there's a Now You See Me 3 that's going to come out. But there was a pandemic. So if you can thank the pandemic for anything, it's from stopping that sequel from coming in the theaters. Also, Now You See Me, the sequel should be called Now You Don't. Why is this so hard? Just Now You Don't and Now You Don't See Me. What I'm saying, now you see me, now you don't. That's the phrase, correct? Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> but you're giving them credit for being clever. Yes. And you're also thinking an audience that would pay to see this. This movie made a lot of money. I know. Would Now you don't? Is it the same thing? Is it a spinoff? Exactly. The people who would like that would not understand that. No. They would be upset by it. They would They'd be just stupid. <laughs> What's next on your uh, dumpster... It is a remake of a Michael Caine movie starring a man who hates the Vietnamese people. It is the Italian job. <laughs> it's about making a nice spaghetti. <sighs> you know, I'm so upset about Mark Wahlberg. I'm going to let that go. No, that movie sucks. I hate it all. Yeah, it's trash. I hate it all. The best part of that movie is most deaf. I fucking hate Mark Wahlberg. I don't really care for Ed Norton. In most things. I like Ed Norton. I know you do. Yeah. But that's okay. He is bad. This movie is another one. It's, it's like, terrible. It's like Now You See yeah. Me, in which it has all these really talented actors in it who were just, wait, how much does that check say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the climax of this movie is Charlize Theron driving a product placement through a tunnel. <laughs> well... Douchebag du jour has a cr- little creep mustache, and the little racist guy is behind him going, My mom said I could do this. Uh, Boston. Oh, the Italian job. <laughs> also, the original Italian job is very cool. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm fucking putting this piece of shit in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. I agree with your plan. Racist asshole. <laughs> Less racist, but mine is also a remake of my second. We mentioned it. The 1999. American romantic thriller that unfortunately I love him to death directed by John McTiernan, but the Thomas crown affair in mm-hmm. 1999, man, oof. Another Boston douchebag in there. <laughs> hey, I'm Dennis Leary. I'm the FBI. Oh, Duh. So d- it's not that bad a movie. It's just dopey. Yeah. It's just dopey. And it's Renee Russo deserved better. I know. And it made money and it had good actors in it and DreamWorks put it out. I mean, it just, it's dopey. It's dope. It's not as bad as the Italian job, but no. it's a dumbed down version of the really cool original Faye Dunaway, Steve McQueen, Thomas Crown Affair. It's one of those movies where why remake this? Why? So I don't know if you guys know this, but Ocean's 11 is a remake of, a Rat Pack movie. What? Yes. And that movie, Steven Soderbergh said to himself, this is a really cool idea that doesn't involve a guy who likes to beat up women, you know? And we're going to put this, I'm talking, of course, about 
<laughs> old blue eyes himself, old throw drinks on women. I shouldn't talk that much about Sinatra because I don't want anyone. I guess all the big Sinatra fans are all old now. Uh, I don't want anyone to hit me with their cane. Also, Dean Martin was a mensch, though, was cool and yeah. is great in that movie. Dean Martin, the, basically the Rat Pack was basically just nonstop saved by Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Everybody else had singing talent, but it was basically just Dean Martin saving everyone with comedy and Sammy Davis Jr. being an amazing Satanist magician. But the that is true. I don't know if you guys know that, but... Uh, I think the whole Rat Pack's overrated. <laughs> All of them. Not Dino, though. I will stand by Dino. But that Ocean's Eleven, it's a great remake. It's a movie that needed to be remade. And... The Thomas Crown Affair and Italian Job did not need to be remade. No. But because Ocean's Eleven, that wasn't even yet. That's even interesting because those movies were before Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. So they were remaking all these heist movies. And the one that would actually be good would be after this crap. I don't know. But those movies made money. But here's the difference. Mm. The original Ocean's Eleven were just dudes hanging out, mm. making a movie. And yeah. just goofing around like, hey, let's rob a casino. What yeah. would that be like? And that's sort of the vibe of Ocean's 12. Mm. Ocean's 11, though, that's a serious heist movie. They remade it, and they turned it into their own thing. That is a Steven Soderbergh yeah. movie. Agreed. These assholes remade, no offense to Don McTiernan, these assholes remade movies, but they made them just, like, updated. It's <laughs> it's the 90s or 2000s. I don't remember when these came out. It's like, we got Mini Coopers in a tunnel. Oh, my God. And Charlize Theron. So much product placement. And Seth Green? Yeah. Also talented. Nerd in the van? I Eventually, he would become Shaun of the Dead in movies that were good, where they would take, um, what is Shaun of the Dead's name? Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, which I understand what they were thinking, where they're like, what if we had somebody who's funny, and then we'll put him in these movies? I get it. Okay, so that's the dumpster. I think it might be time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. It's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. What do you think there, Nick? What you got on your wall there here at the Blockbuster Film School? Coming at number four. Mm. Movie that you didn't bring up Mm. and I didn't bring up. I was saving it. The Town. Ooh, I was thinking about it. Ben Affleck. Directorial debut. No. Directorial. Second. Sophomore effort. debut. Yes. Gone Baby Gone. Oh, yeah. Which is also good. That's really good. Not a heist, though. Not a heist. This is the Boston version of Heat. If everybody was a career criminal, but their careers were awful. (laughs) Hawkeye's like, hey, you guys want to listen to my new album? Yeah, <laughs> this uh, up until um, I don't like this guy in anything other than Hurt Locker and this movie. What's his name? Jeremy Jer- Renner. Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I don't like him. He's great in this. He's, he's literally re- the reason why I he's love a really good actor, though. I'm sure he is. He's he's good at acting. I just don't like him. But um, Hawkeye's a hard character to play. OK, but anyways, <laughs> um, she shoots, shoots fucking arrows. Shoots man. An arrow at Come on. Anyways. <laughs> This movie is, at the same time, realistic and fantasy and gritty and funny and charming. And you care about these people. And they're all just a bunch of fuck-ups. And John Hamm's in it. He's an amazing asshole. And Affleck's good. 
and he directs it really well. He wrote right. it. It's a good movie. But my favorite part of this movie is Jeremy Renner because yeah. at the end of it, he's hiding behind a fucking newspaper stand in a shoot off. And John Hamm's like, giving this whole thing, come out with your hands up. All this stuff. He's, he's, you're surrounded. You can't get out. This amazing beat. And then Jeremy Renner, fuck you. <laughs> the thickest use of his Boston accent the whole movie. Fuck you. It's like F E C K. U-H-U. It's amazing. I love it. And also, it's the same thing. Like, Argo, Gone Baby Gone, The Town. Yeah. His first three movies were all really good. And they all had these... Heisty. Ambiguous endings. Yeah. Gone Baby Gone, you watch that and you're like, what the fuck just happened? In this movie, it's like, all right. Argo's mm-hmm. the most straightforward ending. But, but heisty, in a way. Yes. But yeah, The Town. I agree with you. I like The Town a lot. And... uh a lot of interesting heist scenes within the movie, you know, beyond just the mega, like them getting out of things, yeah. them going into a Boston Red Sox game, you know, to like escape. You know, I mean, of course, yeah, <laughs> if Tom Brady would have showed up, it would have been like <laughs> been too much. <laughs> OK, I'm glad you brought up the town because I like the town a lot. Number four on my list. I don't know if I want to do this one now because it involves two terrible pieces of shit, but the usual suspects is a wild style movie. It's, in my opinion, beyond Bunga Bunga, Creepshow, Brian Singer's talent. It is beyond Mr. Spacey. It is a failed heist movie, but it is such a weird, interesting take on it. Everyone has their own take on The Usual Suspects. If you've never seen The Usual Suspects, you need to do that just... I suppose for cultural relevance, just to kind of understand Kaiser Soze jokes. I mean, Benicio del Toro in that movie, if nothing else, is worth the price of admission. The <laughs> the ensemble elements of that movie, it's a lot of actors who are ridiculous and it somehow works. I don't know. It's burn in that movie and I think about that movie sometimes and what's going on and truly of the element of heists and twist movies and nineties cinema, the usual suspects is this bizarre culmination of the whole thing. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I think it's super overrated. I guess who Kaiser says was during the opening credits and, uh, just never really liked it that much. Kevin Pollock can act. Benicio's great. Yes. And that's all I have to say. All right. What's your number three? Fuck it. Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Jackie Brown's so good. Another I, Omar Leonard book. Yeah. Quentin. I love Pam Greer. I love Robert Forrester. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Bridget Fonda. Her acting career. No, well, she retired. <laughs> yeah, I know. I would say Chris Tucker's acting career. Oh. <laughs> but Sam Jackson in this, Michael Keaton, this everybody in this movie fucking delivers De Niro. Yeah. This movie is such a different De Niro performance yeah. too. Like, I mean, like the f- gritty failed career criminal whose career sucks. Yeah, that's him in this movie. I think it might be Tarantino's most subtle movie in a way because he's going off of his main influence, which is Elmore Leonard. Yeah, and actually doing a movie outside of the Tarantino universe, doing it in the Elmore Leonard universe, which I love that he. He loves universes of movies that he then took people from out of sight. He took, you know, he understood that. And also, yeah, Pam Greer in this movie is so good. It's so cool. 
and you just want to be Pam Greer. I mean, it's yeah. and and taking Pam Greer and doing his thing and Forrester and these people who had kind of been out of the limelight in Hollywood and doing his, in my mind, Tarantino's really biggest, truly benefit to Hollywood of this idea of reminding Hollywood that sometimes when people fall out of the limelight, maybe these are people you should bring back. Maybe these are people who are worth another shot because they were stars once. Yeah. They were A-list once. Maybe give them another shot in something a little different. And I think, I mean, he obviously did it with, you know, number three in Scientology. I mean. But he fell to that list real hard lately. But also Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz had been this great, you know, actor in German television and international television. And now he's one of the great character actors in the world. And a lot of people had just given up on Christoph Waltz and he's amazing. And that's literally because Tarantino was like, no, this guy's dope. We need to keep him around. We need to keep Forrester around. And I really appreciate that. And I love Jackie Brown. I do. Any other Jackie Brown thoughts? Don't fuck with my levels. Yeah. I honestly, <laughs> I was going to say, no, that movie's perfect. Yeah. It's my favorite Tarantino movie. What's your my, number three? My number three is Bottle Rocket. Yeah. I'm, we talked about it. We don't have to go too much into it again, but I, in a way, couldn't believe what I was seeing when I saw Bottle Rocket because <laughs> I thought to myself, wait, is this a comedy? What is this? What's happening? It's funny. It's good. It's crazy. I When he helps him escape from the mental institution <laughs> and then they ride on the bus, he says, what's, what's the point of any of this? Yeah. What's the point of life in general? Also, I love that he's like, we didn't have to escape. I just signed out. <laughs> it did it because of you. You wanted me to climb up the he's window. Flashing the, yeah. He's flashing the mirror at him. I, For some reason, I related to it so hard, this idea of people who are still kind of in the mainstream, but they're not. They aren't. They live in the suburbs, but they're not. I don't, in my mind, live yeah. in the suburbs. <laughs> I'm another thing, man. I... <laughs> I loved it. I adored it. And Wes Anderson made a five-minute short that went to Sundance, and James L. Brooks, one of the co-creators of The Simpsons, saw it and said, this is interesting, and gave them money and created Wes Anderson. I yeah. mean, it's... So when they're robbing the bookstore and he's like yelling at the employee, he turns out and goes, don't yell at me. He's like, I'm sorry. Can you show... Can you hurry up? Can you go <laughs> where, a little faster? Where are the atlases? The bigger yeah. books? It's such a... <laughs> about if there's a movie about existential on we living in the suburbs also the fact that the wilson brothers older brother shows up only in wes anderson movies to yeah. be the bully character and or also, the gym teacher or to cut off uh margo's finger on the yeah put the put the log up there a little sister that uh somebody needs to check wes anderson's fingers because if he lost a finger his next movie's a hit mm, good call what's your two Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. I love it. I love Soderbergh so much. Mm -hmm. These characters are so... Uh, they're so good. All of them. Julia Roberts. Khan's son. was his name? Scott Khan. Yeah. Brad Pitt's amazing. He eats in every fucking scene. <laughs> and there's that part where George Clooney... He's like, you guys tell me why. You guys tell me George Clooney delivers a speech. And uh, he's Brad Pitt just goes... You're practicing it, just a little. Like, rush it? I feel like I rush it. He's like, no, it's good. He goes, Team B cover voice thing. See, that was a little harsh. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> like the Scott Con, these like 
little side things that these characters have their own side things going when these two characters interact they have their entire other side universe that they are up to they are arguing about things i love the soderbergh stuff i love that it goes in so many directions and yeah and don Cheadle has the worst english accent He's done English accents before. They don't sound like this. <laughs> and, like, it's so bad, but it doesn't matter because he's so fucking good in this. Everybody's, the, so, everybody's good. so good in this. And then also it's just, like, you got nine guys showing up at once, and they just do the obvious joke where they answer the door, and fucking uh, Elliot Gould, R.I.P., is just like, so what, do you guys get a group rate or something? <laughs> also, Bernie Mac. R.I.P. Bernie Mac. Let's say it one more time. Yeah. Bernie, Bernie Mac. Mac. The great night of Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those Oceans movies are great. And 11 is... I'm having trouble figuring out what my two is. But I have to bring this movie up because I really dig the shit out of it. And I'm going to bring it up as my two. It's a movie called Hell or High Water from 2016. Directed by David McKenzie and written by Taylor Sheridan. And I went into it thinking I wasn't going to like this movie. And... I went into this movie thinking that it was going to be some cheesy bullshit and it's one of the more strangely electric sort of heist movies I've ever seen. Chris Pine blew my mind. I didn't think Chris Pine was capable of being so good in a movie. I, It's almost an old cowboy heist movie, but set now. And it really kind of has all of these elements of like the poverty of America and what people are actually up to and what people might actually do to each other in order to just rob one bank just to stay alive a little longer. It's such a a punch in the gut of a movie. And whenever I talk to people about it, I just, I think about it and I would recommend Hell or High Water to anybody, anytime. I think it's a great movie. I really do. Have you seen it? I haven't. I, I hate the writer. I know. I know. I, I thought it was going to suck and it really didn't. And I wonder sometimes it's one of those ones where is the writing actually good or is the directing really good? And the actors are able to pull this shit off in a way like George Lucas is not a good director, but you had yeah. these super charming people in the original star Wars. You know well, what I'm saying? That's the like, whole thing with Sicario too, because mm-hmm. Villeneuve rewrote it. And then um, Benicio yeah. basically cut out all of his lines He's like this this guy shouldn't talk so much yeah and then his original ending for that movie was so horrible they had to rewrite the whole ending i so i wouldn't be surprised if the director of that like was just like well yeah be better. it reminded me a little bit of sicario in a way where there is such an edge such a dangerous edge it reminded me also of the michael mann stuff that people are willing to die over a couple thousand bucks and it's not the fun heist movies. It's I will kill anybody to save this one little piece of my own fucking dignity. It is such a strange, crazy movie. And I like Hell or High Water a lot. I think it's good. What's your number one? Heat. Heat. Now I got nothing else to say. And I will say with you, and we can just muse on Michael Mann, my number one is Thief. I figured. So, but Heat, I was going to give you Heat, because Heat is, I love Heat, I love Thief. Michael Mann is the ultimate heist director, in my opinion. There's nobody who's made better ones. What's your favorite part of Heat? 
never been asked that before. Uh, my favorite part of Heat is Al Pacino throwing Henry Rollins through a fucking glass door <laughs> because fuck Henry Rollins. But also, I don't even know if I mean that anymore mm. because I hate Henry Rollins as a musician, as an actor. When I saw him on that Hot Wings show and he's just like sort of really sad and like literally like, just give me work. I got to work. And I'm he like, seems like, oh, a he's nice like guy. an actual person. Yeah. <laughs> He's never um, done anything terrible. He's not like a Kevin Spacey. Actually, there's a chance oh, he, he mu- <laughs> murdered his roommate. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, Nicholas, sometimes you might accidentally murder your roommate. Yeah, I'll drink your blood before that happens. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I'm going to go with the shootout at the fucking, mm. at the drive-in. I like that a lot. I yeah. like I like when the lawyer realizes that everything is fucked. Yeah. And it's like, what what does De Niro say? He's like, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm talking to an empty telephone. Like, and (laughs) talking to an empty telephone. What do you mean? He goes, because there's a fucking dead man on the other side of this line. And also he doesn't slam it. He just does this turn, just click. Also, so much of this movie stuck with me. So much. I used to drive around with a copy of this in my car. Mm. This is like in the top three movies of my. talking to it. No, I would every time. Hey, Mike. Michael Mann. Hey, my pal. I don't need to drive around in my car <laughs> to talk to Michael Mann as an imaginary hero person and be like, what the fuck are you doing directing these movies? Yeah. Quit making Hemsworth movies. Direct them in film again, you asshole. Yeah. No, but I would just like, I would show up and be like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I got heat in the car. And then eventually everybody watched Heat and they're like, oh, this is really good. We thought you were just making a joke about having heat. But um, there's that part where De Niro is with Wayne in the hotel and he goes, look at me. Look at me. I do that to Petey, my parents' beagle, <laughs> when he's misbehaving all the time. It worked the first time I did it, and now I just do it, and they're like, you got to stop saying it. He's never going to look at you. He doesn't give a shit. Just give him the treat, and he'll leave us alone. Also, Al Pacino yelling, she's got a great ass, is, I'm sorry, not good, but hilarious. Yes, and oh. also he improvised that, and that... Look at Hank Azaria is absolutely real. And the fact that they cut out the entire cocaine substory of yeah. Al Pacino in that movie is almost a great cutout because now he's just acting like a maniac <laughs> and it doesn't make, it doesn't any, make sense any sense now. <laughs> they were worried about it to make him too unlikable, but it's like, depending on who you watch it with, like, it's like, well... Well, you fully relate to... That's truly, though, what we're talking about of the high school. You fully relate to Robert De Niro, though. Like, you side... I don't know. Oh, this is an interesting litmus test. I side with Robert De Niro. I side with his gang. Like, it's not his fault that shit got fucked up. Like, I mean, it is their fault that they did these terrible things. Yeah. But they weren't trying to do that. And these cops are literally willing to do terrible evil crimes in order to catch them worse crimes than what they did just to catch them because they're pissing them off now. It's such a, and I would say that's in thief as well, that part of the reason slight spoiler alert that James Khan goes down is just because he won't just do what mafia guys do. He won't just be a career criminal. He wants to be an independent contractor. He wants to be something else than this. His whole life has been a fuck up. He's good at being a thief, but he wants to be something else. But once you sign contracts with the devil, 
you can't get loose. And I think the Simpsons have proven that you can. Well, if your wife, if you, just so you guys know, sign over your soul to your wife. And then when you eat the magic donut, your wife technically still owns your soul and the devil is a moron because uh, your wife owns your soul. How mean. (laughs) Also, I sign with Al Pacino just because he hangs out with Ted Levine and Tom Loke. I like Pacino too, but he's such a dick to everybody. He's such a like... I mean, De Niro's not nice to everybody either. Mm -mm. Everybody in this movie is an asshole. Agreed. But Al Pacino takes care of Nellie Portman when he had, you know? That is true. He tries. He tries. And also, he told uh, Rob or whatever his name is, he's like, you can ball my wife if you want to. Mm, You can lounge around in her ex-husband's ex-dead tech bullshit monastic house if you want to. But you can't watch my fucking television set. And then he steals his little nine-inch TV they don't even make anymore. (laughs) And he gets to the fucking stop. He's like, oh, fuck it, and just kicks it out the door. I like that that guy is the stepdad in Terminator 2. He's also... (laughs) no, She's not my mother, Todd. Todd. He's also... The stepdad in, uh, he's also the dad in Gattaca. He's a doctor. Yeah, but no, he says, you think he'd, you think if the father doesn't recognize his own son? He's what Eli- Elias Codius turns into. No. Yeah. He's the doctor. He's the guy at the thing. That He's also the dad. No. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> you are, inc- I love Gattaca and, uh, he is the doctor who he mentions how big Ethan Hawke's dick is. Yeah. Right. But that's almost a little code of like nobody who would have been genetically created have such a big giant dong. But my son also has a big giant dong because he was also a uh, not genetically engineered kid. And I've been hiding that, too. And I've been hiding you a little bit as well, because. Now, you are my big, giant, donked son, which I think is the point of that movie. Okay. I think so. (laughs) Gattaca! 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 (laughs) Also, I love Gattaca. We should do an Andrew Nicole episode. That'd be fun. It'd be a short one. I know, but he's he's got some movies. I think we could pull a, a nice hour out of that one. That'd be fun. I think that's our wall. I think that's our heist movie episode. I know we probably missed some. I, I'm sure we missed some. We missed like a, a thousand. There are so many heist movies. People stealing shit, getting shit, get that money. That's America. Okay? Get that money. Also, Sadly, that's America. Uh, agreed. Also, if you ever have to go to prison, you know, if you're a child molester, you're going to get murdered. But if you're a bank robber, you have a little bit of cred. Just putting that out there. Like, uh, bank robbers don't normally get fucked with in prison. They normally... Yeah get uh, connected into other bank robbers. Also, when I worked at a cop bar on the South side, shift changes at three fifteen, and the uh, rob a bank by the expressway. The cops cannot chase you. Mm, interesting. They were interesting. literally the cops. I knew who were chasing bank robbers. Once we're like, pull over, tell us your mileage. And they let the, they just let the guys got away with it. And they just went over and checked. They literally made them sit in the side of the road and they drove up and checked the mileage in the car, like, okay, and go about your business. There is still a dude who's robbed something like 175 banks in the United States, and they have no idea who he is. And he is a like five foot eight Latino man who has a mustache, wears a baseball cap, and sunglasses. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a guy who looks like this, but um, he literally just walks in with a note that says, Give me everything in the drawer. 
and he's dropped like 175 bags. They call him Super Mario, which is racist on many levels, but it's also like, this is what this guy does. Yeah. <laughs> he just does it like once a year, just like, or like a couple times a year and just like, yep. Okay. See you guys later. And then walks out. So he also is super high on mushrooms. That's why I call him Super Mario. <laughs> yeah. He also has a wrench. He's like, I will also fix yeah. your plumbing. Just, just drivers a tall guy named Luigi. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that's a boring version of the heist movie. If you actually want to do crime, the more boring it is, the less you will get caught. Yeah. Um, so on that take, I think it is time. It is the end. Listen, if you guys have stuck around this long, you like Blockbuster Film School. We have a Patreon. If you feel like throwing us some bucks, we would appreciate it. We love you guys a lot. Please follow us on all of the social medias, particularly Instagram, Facebook, Reddit. Interact with us. We'd love to talk to you guys. We'd love to get your opinion. If you hate our takes, hit us up. We're, we're willing to listen. We are just Blockbuster Film School. We are just Blockbuster employees and film school morons. We adore you and appreciate you listening. Do you have any last takes on the heist movies? If you've listened this long, you either love this show or you fell asleep. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you, set your alarm. You're going to be late for work. Set your alarm. Wake up and set your alarm. Wake up and set your alarm. But it's a sp- Wake up and set your alarm. But it's a dreidel. I spun a dreidel and deep inside of my psyche, someone's trying to heist my dreams based on a dreidel, I think. I don't remember how that works. Also, yes, please, for the love of God, if you like Blockbuster Film School, tell your friends, please listen to us on Spotify, you know, Apple Podcasts, all this stuff. Just listen, please. I'm not going to beg too much. Just do it. You should. It's a good idea. Blockbuster Film School. You love it. We love you. Nick? Wake up. (laughs) See you guys next week. Super producer Brian Tepsi did a great job. I'm Alex Bonner with Nicholas Sauter. Blockbuster Film School.